You are listening to a message from Mosaic Knox. For more information about our church, visit mosaicknox.org. Hello, Mosaic family. My name is Ben, and I am the resident of our church here. It's a great joy to be with you, and I've got to say that our teachings um, of our transformation framework uh, have been good for me just as a person. To see the themes of Jesus' life laid out, taught, and then kept up with throughout the week has truly been forming me. My starting place with the teachings has begun by taking the Sunday of it and moving it into my everyday. Some weeks I've gone home and been really passionate and really charged and talked Tori's ears off about the teaching. Other weeks I've gone home and just been like, what did we just talk about? But either way, when I leave this building, the weekdays that follow have begun to be lived very differently. My mornings look different in the tone and the subjects of my prayers for us and for this. I'm finding that I'm more aware of God's presence in this neighborhood, in my weekly routines like going to Kroger or ordering a burger at Rami's Cafe, and then all the random responsibilities in between. I am being formed by the very values that we discuss in this room. The transformation has been gradual. It's still still happening, it's not 100%. I've had to wait on a few things, connect some dots, but every week I've been able to leave our times here asking the question, what am I doing for the kingdom? What is God doing in me to bear witness for his kingdom? What's my role here? What's my role in this neighborhood, in this community? In this job? What's my role in our body? This year we have been talking about how we are formed by God, and that is true. And today I want to continue how we are formed as missionaries, how the roles that each of us have in the kingdom invite all of us in to the way of Jesus and away from the sidelines, how all people are all in, and we are sent out by the same spirit, with the same mission. Being all in means that we are all on the same team, literally. In high school sports, there are usually two teams that represent the exact same school. You've got a varsity team and a junior varsity team. The varsity team is reserved for the more talented players, usually the upperclassmen, the position players. The coach puts them in specifically to try and win games while the JV team is not so much. They are normally the first-year players, underclassmen. They are the other guys. What's interesting about that is that the church has started to adopt a model that is similar to this by categorizing Christians by the ones that do ministry and the ones that don't do ministry. The varsity team, they are the level 10 Christians. They play right? The ones who have unlocked Jesus. They're the ones who come to church every week. They do everything that the church offers, and they read their Bible at least five times a week. While the junior varsity team, uh, they are not expected to do that much. They can be counted on, but only counted on from a distance. The junior varsity varsity model is damaging to our approach uh, in ministry and learning how to follow Jesus. 
another model that the church has started to adopt as an effective way to do ministry is the organizational chart model. When we talk about this, we're meaning a top-down organizational structure. So think about your job, right? You've got a CEO, a COO, a VP of sales, a VP of marketing, VP of engineering, regional managers, shift managers, full-time employees, part-time employees, custodians, and then interns fit in there somewhere. But you see the top-down structure of it. This thought is that the top people, the CEOs, the COOs, stay the top people. How it translates to the church, it, it looks interesting. The, the pastors are the top people. They are the ones that get paid to do the work, and they're the ones that are trained to do the work, so we let them do the work. The varsity Christians are used to doing it because they've always done it, so we just kind of let them do it. And the level 10 Christians are really, really good at doing the work, so they just take charge and we do what they tell us to do. It is in this model that the work done by the five governs the 500 below. The organizational chart model is also damaging, but it is not only damaging to our approach and ministry and learning how to follow Jesus together, it is hollowing out the church. But we are taking these models away and we are flushing them. Let me tell you why. Both of these models are designed where the leaders stay the leaders and the attendees stay the attendees. In these models, the work ends up being very contingent on the varsity team members, and the gospel mission actually ends up weighing on very few bodies. We don't operate out of these models because Jesus' ministry was not like this. It was not top-down. It was not varsity and junior varsity. It would not be looked at as what we would call efficient ministry, and it definitely was not good for business. He would be looked at as actually a very inefficient and a very slow leader and an even slower teacher because the table is not a place for results. It's a place where relationships happen. Jesus did not die for us to simply watch his kingdom come, but to take part in his kingdom coming. He did not die for us to cheer as witnesses to the gospel, but to go and make disciples in his name. He died for all believers to be all included in the whole and the entire promise of eternal life. So friends, there is just no caste system in the kingdom. That is why the organizational chart model and the junior varsity varsity model of Christianity is not the heart of Jesus. Instead of a ranking system, Jesus had it established a very different way, at the table. Jesus' Jesus's way is full of grace. It is full of life. It is full of patience and love. His way makes it to where you and I are just as equipped as the pastors to go and do the work and then to call on the name of Jesus. It is Romans 8 that reminds us, we have received the spirit of adoptions as son, by who we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. And again, in Galatians 4, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, 
though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman under law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son and a daughter. And if a son and a daughter, then an heir through God. See, it's Paul reminds these churches time and time again that believers through Jesus Christ are heirs because of Jesus. We are daughters and sons because of Jesus. We are heirs to the kingdom of heaven because of Jesus. Ephesians 3 says we are partakers in the promise of Christ through the gospel. Partakers. The good news is that you are freely and fully known, right? So where all of your sin, my sin, and their sin is cast away, and it is not kept on any record that you can find anywhere else where you get to release the burdens of one another that you've been walking with, and you also lay down your own too. The way of Jesus welcomes everyone playing their part in expressing how heaven is reached. All people are all in through the way of Jesus, because it is Jesus who ultimately was the one that offered and gave himself for full access with us, and praise him that he did that. But it does not stop there. Jesus does call us to him, But he does not call us to him to stay there at the front with the good cheese and the good wine. We do not stop our feet at the front of the table. We do not come to him and just get to chill for the rest of our lives. The same Christ who told people to come to the table, I love you, is the same Christ who tells us to go, live, and do unto others. For the table is the place that the people of Jesus come, and it is the place that the people of Jesus are sent back out from. Sent into our homes, into our friends' struggles, into our co-workers' lives, into our family conflicts, into our servers, into our bosses and our spouses. It is Jesus who equips us to go back out into this world for his name. He invites us to know living for him as completely involved and totally shared. It's the top-down model reversed. It's like the all-in model. The kind of stuff that you just simply cannot see from the skybox. And this way has started to form here in Knoxville, where everyone is working to be included and involved. In 2021, I've seen some of very specific ways that this looks like here in North Knoxville. Let me name you a few. <clears throat> it is Zach, Rachel, and Wes as they invite others to the table when they visit middle school students while they learn to program Lego robots. Believe me, they do not do this for the Lego robots, but with the hope of establishing relationships with the children and the families who do build them. It is Nathan and I as we take the way of Jesus to Whittle Spring Middle School students and Fulton High School students as we try to coach the game of baseball. We don't do this because we're trying to live vicariously through them, but instead because we want to know them through real relationships and be a sense of encouragement and stability when they have none. 
It is Susan. It is Bill, Amy, and Barry. It's Catherine and Brady. It is Sarah Grace and Izzy, Lauren and Layla and Tori as they take the way of Jesus to single moms and aunts and grandmas in our neighborhood. This mission is for their hearts and to let them know that we actually want to have a place in their lives. It is also Jalen and Caitlin and Joel and Sydney and Andy and Melissa. It's Alexis and it is James as they all invite others to the table where we want to understand people's stories because they might feel overlooked or forgotten. We are doing this because Jesus does not overlook and Jesus does not forget. We take the way of Jesus not because we're pastors or because we're level 10 Christians, but because we are one through him. Everyone plays means that at the table, the playing field is even. And in 1 Corinthians 12, the scripture that Wes read earlier, Paul gives us the picture of the body working with each other for each other. The gifts and the roles are given for individuals that allow us to function as one. And this is all of us. God, the great mender, he welded us together so that we love and we live with the people of his creation. I love how the message says it uh, of verse 25. The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. See, the organizational chart model and the junior varsity varsity model, this puts people into importance and not so importance. Convenient and visible and not so much. While the way of Jesus actually uses our unique roles and puts them together for his will. So if we claim to be a part of the body, the church, then we confirm the suffering of one means the suffering of all. And the well-being of one means the well-being of all. So we confirm that when our city is hurting because of gun violence, and hurting because of evil where high school students are dying, then we hurt too. We feel it. We don't get to ignore what happens in our city. Instead, we ingest it. We absorb it. It, it, is, it is here. We try and understand what we can of it. We pray for it, and we don't stop praying for it. Because we, how we feel about each other in this neighborhood matters. How we talk about our streets and how we talk about our schools and how we talk about our next door neighbors matter. This is not a far off land where we simply read about things happening. This is our backyard. This is our city in which darkness is revealed on a daily basis and it does not take weekends off. One commentator of 1 Corinthians says it like this. He says it looks like when a thorn enters the heel, the whole body feels it and is concerned. The back bends, the belly and the thighs contract. 
The hands come forward and draw out the thorn. The head stoops. The eyes regard the affected member with an intense gaze. And it's at this moment that everything works together for one goal, and everything has one mission. We share in each other's sorrows, and we share in each other's joys, because we share in the same spirit of the same body. We do not share anything from the comfort of our box seats. You can't share anything from the safety of the sidelines. You can't do this from anywhere else besides the way of Jesus who sends his spirit with you back into your street, back into your classrooms, and back into your circles. And a perfect example of the body being one, right, members or made up individuals, is found in uh, Romans 16. This is where the individuals that made up and helped structure the church body in Rome are named. Here, the Apostle Paul, the global church planner, the author of almost half the New Testament, and the famous cross-cultural missionary, he names 36 people that he knew to be mobile, active, and faithful believers in Rome. He names people from all different statuses and all different standings who are in the church. Here are some fun facts. Fun fact number one. 27 of these names are men. Nine of them are women. Plus, Paul talks about two other women named simply by their relationship to someone that he names. Number two, he refers to at least two well-known house churches and three well-known uh, households. Number three, most of these names are Gentile, not Jewish. This is important. It's important because it shows that the gospel message made it to the Gentile population in Rome. These are also names of servants and ex-servants, men and women, laity people, and the working class. These are not famous names by any stretch, and they're not well known to us. They are easily overlooked by people who read this letter in 2021. But you're in for a treat, because we're not going to overlook them. We're going to start in verse 1. As we start in the first verse of the chapter, Paul begins his salutations with Phoebe. Phoebe, Paul taglines her, a servant in the church of Sancrea. I think I said that right. It's an ancient port city right outside of Corinth. We're really unsure of the role that she played in the church, uh, but she would have been the person to take this letter to Rome. Paul wants them to, quote, welcome her in a way worthy of the saints. So she might have been a deaconess in the church. And if not a deaconess, then she was really a really good volunteer. But here's the key. Paul never, ever, ever stresses her service. Or I'm sorry, Paul never stresses her office, just her service. We know that the ministry of women is evident here from Paul's very words. He lists other women in this chapter, but Phoebe is mentioned first, above every name, men and women. Looking at verse 3 and 4, we meet Priscilla and Aquila. Paul taglines them, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. This specific married couple is mentioned six different times in four other New Testament books. 
Priscilla and Aquila were known as hospitable and faithful friends. They hosted church everywhere they went in their home, wherever they were traveling at the time. We read their first part of their story in Acts 18, where Paul met them in Corinth, and they became travelers with him, and they traveled all around the Eastern world, and they became central figures to helping plant the churches. In Acts 18, we also read that they were credited with instructing Apollos. It says they were, quote, explaining to him the way of God more accurately. Apollos is also mentioned in Paul's epistles. He was a major evangelist in the first century and was a key figure in the development of two churches, the Church of Corinth and the He also became a fellow worker with Paul as well, and then in his life was made a bishop by Paul in Asia Minor. Back to Priscilla and Aquila. Some scholars conclude that Priscilla is the anonymous author of the book of Hebrews. Given her reputation and given her background, we would not really be surprised if this turned out to be true. Out of the six times that the couple is mentioned, Priscilla's name is mentioned first four times. This shows that Priscilla was probably more known, more known as a shepherd, more known as a disciple, more known as a caregiver than her husband was. And that's okay. That's not a bad thing. But it is needless needless to say that this couple is extremely respected in Paul's eyes. Move to verse 5. We meet meet Epinatus. All Paul says is he was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Hello. The first one on a continent? And that's all anybody knows about him. Literally, no one knows anything else about him. But the only thing is that he was the very first one on Asia. So take that as a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's pretty cool. Shoot down with me to verse 12. We meet Tryphena and Tryphosa. Paul taglines them workers in the Lord. Scholars think that they might have been twin sisters, and if they weren't twin sisters, then they at least belonged to the same family. But what's interesting is their names. Their names derive from Greek verbs that mean to live delicately or luxuriously. And so it's clear that their family probably had some ex- exclusivity came from resources, came from a good line of money. But Paul doesn't say that about them. While their names may indicate that, they put their social standing to the side, and they were known in the church by the work that they did. They were probably deaconesses for the Roman church as well. That's why Paul knows about their work, how faithful they were. Verse 13, we meet Rufus. Paul taglines him, chosen in the Lord. That really just means like Paul's, or Paul's saying that uh, Rufus is a really good Christian. Uh, commentators and scholars both agree that he was the son of Simon the Serene. We read in Mark 15, 21 that he was, uh, quote, I'll just read it to you. Quote, and they compel one Simon a Serenian who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear Jesus' cross. So his father's faith would have given him a good starting place to, be no, to know Christ and therefore be known among his community as a believer. Rufus turned out to be one of the original 70 disciples and a bishop in Thebes, which is a place in Greece. While Paul is uh, talking about Rufus, he also greets his mother. 
Rufus's mom, not, not Paul's mom, who may have extended her maternal gift to Paul to di- by directly hosting him, feeding him, praying for him, tucking him in at night while he was on his travels. I love that Paul speaks for all the Christians in Rome who he's extremely thankful for. And then he continues with names of fellow missionaries that are with him. Verse 21, he talks about Timothy, Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater. We meet Tertius, who was Paul's scribe. The handwritten letters of Romans are Tertius' handwriting. And Tertius greets the readers of Romans person or Romans personally. So it's at least possible that he was uh, known to the Christians in Rome and maybe one of the Jews who was expelled from Rome that found their way to Corinth like Priscilla and Aquila did. But Tertius' name is very interesting. Tertius means third. A low-status family in Rome uh, did not believe that their kids' names mattered. So you had a lot of kids, and some made it and some didn't. And so the fact that he is third means that he was the third child. His parents might, not, might have thought that he would not make it. But he ended up writing the letter of Romans, traveling with Paul, and the stories that he could tell, regardless of his status. He is numbered also among the 70 disciples and later in his life became a bishop in Iconium, which is modern-day Turkey. Paul keeps going to mention Corinthian believers and Paul's friends, like Gaius, that was Paul's host at the time. You meet Erastus, who was a responsible city treasurer who handles the minor offenses of the city where Paul was. You meet Cordus, his name means fourth, just like Tertius. But he was a Christian that was just known in the city. Uh, Paul talks about him. William H. Newell says in his Roman commentary this, quote, the 16th chapter is neglected by many to their own loss. It is by far the most extensive, intimate, and particular of all the words of loving greeting in Paul's marvelous letters. No one can afford to miss this wonderful outpouring of the heart of the great apostle towards the saints in whom he so loved, which is all the real church of God. Many of us in this room do not know these names. That's okay. But it does not negate their importance. Notice how this is at the end of Romans, which leaves the the 36 names of Christians in Rome ringing in the ears of who heard this letter. Paul endorses them. He pushes them up and acknowledges them by their names. He spent a lot of time and he spent a lot of ink making sure that their names were down and their relation to the mission is known. These names are not of high stature, but they are faithful friends. Romans 16 names the faces and it drops the pin on houses that that were working together in the hope of Jesus. They were the church. They were the pastors. They were the elders and the childcare workers and the teachers and the greeters and the singers and the speakers. They were all in. They were all into the hope of Jesus, that his life and his message, that all fear and all darkness would not keep us at bay waiting for the kingdom. 
Instead, it would invite us towards the promised kingdom where our hands might get dirty. To work in the hope of Jesus is displayed like this, a great quote from Henry Nouwen's book, Gracias. He says this, Ministry is entering with our human brokenness into communion with others and speaking a word of hope. This hope is not based on any power to solve the problems with those in whom we live, but the love of God, which because, I knew I had it, but on the love of God, which becomes visible when we let go of our fears of being out of control into his presence in shared confession of weakness. Henry Nouwen is saying that is what ministry is. Ministry, or the hope, the mission of Jesus, is not... Please shake that away from your belief box. Ministry is simply the work of the gospel. It is the journey of hope that Jesus lived for us to go and live. And we don't just watch it happen. We don't scroll and see it on our phones. We shouldn't only reap the benefits of what others have done. But instead, we go and we live it. Rufus and you are equipped by the same God. Phoebe and you are equipped by the exact same Spirit. Priscilla and Aquila were led by the same hope in Jesus' love and redeeming power for us all. Paul's acknowledgement of those names in Romans 16 tells me that I do not need a statue in my honor or a book in my name to know that I have a part in the coming kingdom. And neither do you. Because you are known. And you are invited. And you have a place prepared with a name tag already for you at the table. So come to him because Christ has already done it for you. It's out of God's love that you love, not your position. It's out of God's love that you, it's out of God's mercy that you give mercy, not your record of good and bad. And it's out of God's inclusion that you are included and therefore you include, not based on your experiences. He's qualified you to come to the table and then to leave the table with him. He's the qualifier that allows the artists, the sinners, the tax collectors, the nurses, the politicians, the public school educators, the mechanics, the CEOs, the accountants, the nannies, and the pastors to all come to the table and then be sent out together for God. Colossians 1.12 says that we give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of saints in light, in who we are delivered and transferred to the kingdom of redemption and forgiveness. This is the point of what I just said, that it is not on us to make Jesus anything he's not. We don't have to sell him. We come together because of him, and we are sent back out for him. So to all the ones who have been waiting to see how exactly walking out Jesus' life looks. It starts with your movement toward him. It looks like interacting with and getting to know the next-door neighbor. It's loving and living with genuine other image-bearers of God. 
you are you have a special place then you are able to peel back the curtain of on the kingdom by the way that you live under the priestly promise that you have but first you get out of the balconies and you live out your hobbies and your talents you quit reclining in the skybox and you get to know the people that you live next to and that you work around. You stop sitting on the sidelines and you really trust that the Spirit of God has put you exactly where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. The mission of Christ is in the trenches with dirty hands and bruises that will actually foster genuine life-changing relationships. So since we come together as a family, and since we come together as a city and as a body, we do not leave the work for others to do. Instead, we go and we do. And we believe that we are qualified in the good news that whatever His way may bring to us, we will be ready for how dirty our hands may get. Will you pray with me? Father, above, you are good. You make the way of your kingdom known to us. It is known through your Son, and it is through Him that we talk to you. It is through Him that we don't have to wait until the next day or a certain day of the week or a time to talk to you. We have direct access to you. And it is through Jesus that's the only thing possible. So Lord, I pray for our body. I pray that we begin to think like parts connected to you. That we come together worn and tired to be seen and heard among each other. Lord, I pray that from here, your body joined in one location, that we are encouraged we know that we are loved and we, are, we can go sent back into our places. I pray that we understand more of the way that you have brought us together in this room specifically for each other, how we can trust one another and how we can welcome each other in. God, will you grow me in that? Will you help me lead my house in the way of joining with others in this very neighborhood? joining in real life, joining in mission. I thank you for those who I see that use their talents, their convictions, and opportunities to reach the community. God, continue to use them. Push them to see your image in the, the ones who they interact with. God, push them, not so we necessarily grow as a church, Lord, but as we grow as a body. Lord, as a family, to see as one part of the picture of what you're doing here. There is no competition or ranking system that we're battling for, but there is but one God. You made by your love that we rest in. Oh, Father, thank you for your church. Thank you for your word, and thank you for your promise. We love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. If you want more information about our church, 
please visit us online at mosaicnox.org. 